Right. Pretty hard when they're not there, huh? Like it sounds good to be up here, but when I walk out there, it sounds God's so good. Father God, we come to you right now. We thank you. We give you praise and everything, Father. We know, Lord, without you, we have no hope, no chance of anything. Father, without you, we can do nothing apart from you. We give you praise right now, Father. We ask a blessing on Pastor Wade as he delivers a message to us. Give us a heart, ears to hear, eyes open. Thank you in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Well, good morning. Y'all can turn in your Bibles to Matthew uh, chapter 2. Uh, that's where we're going to be in our sermon this morning. Uh, this is our last Christmas sermon. Uh, then we were going we're gonna to uh, get into uh, our New Year's time. And I want to talk to you, uh, just kind of give you a little quick commercial about New Year's, what we're going to be talking about, is, your, is the goals that you have. You know, uh, I always have, I mean, I constantly have personal goals out in front of me, and I hope that the goals that, that I have, first of all, bring glory to God. I want the things that I personally set, personal goals for myself, uh, I want them to glorify God with what I do. Uh, goals for our church, you know, things we want to do um, as a church, I think those are really important. Some things that we're going to talk about over the next few Sundays are what happens... When the world says you can't or you shouldn't, uh, what, how do you react to that when you know that God's leading you to a certain thing or, or you're, uh, uh, you have a personal goal set for your Lord and Savior uh, that, that you, know, you know is going to glorify God? If we have a goal set for our church, what do we do when everyone around us says, no, you can't do that or no, you shouldn't do that? I know probably most of you in here, when somebody tells you you can't do something, usually means that you're, by gosh, going to do it no matter what. And so I kind of hopefully want to kind of encourage you this morning because I want to tell you something. First of all, you're never too young to have goals, dreams. You're never too old to have goals and dreams. It's never, as long as you're on this earth and you're breathing and you have a heartbeat, then you, you, you're not too old to do what God's called you to do. You're not too old to have a goal or a dream. So we're going to talk about that over the next few Sundays. But let's finish up our Christmas messages today. Matthew chapter 2, starting verse 1. This is what Scripture says. Now after, if we can get a slide to move, there we go. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in the days of Herod, the king, behold, wise men came from, the, came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when, he arose, when it arose, and have come to worship him. 
When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chiefs, or the chief priests, and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And they told him in Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen went, when it arose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother. And they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream did not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So this morning, I want to talk to you about this king that was born in Bethlehem. Um, this story, a lot of people get a little bit mixed up when it comes to the Christmas story. The account in Luke that we've studied uh, last week, that happened at the birth of Jesus. This story is not necessarily, did not take place at the birth of Jesus. This story probably took place within two years of the birth of Christ. Uh, these wise men traveled from a long way. Somebody said they were firemen. Did y'all know that? Huh? You know why? Because the scripture says they come from afar. Uh, uh, you, you didn't miss Jackie at all, did you? Yeah, right. All right. <laughs> My kids are going, oh my gosh. All right. Uh, they came from a very long way off. So by the time the sign of the star, they saw it, they had quite a ways to travel. Uh, this is a really key part of this story because I want to tell you something. This meant, we're going to talk about this uh, as we go, but this meant there was salvation not only to the Jews but to the Gentiles. They knew what this star meant. It was not just the king of the Jews they were talking about here. They knew that the, the king of kings and the Lord of lords would come from God's chosen people, the Jews. The reason God chose Israel, the reason God told Jacob all those years ago in Genesis that from him, you know, he's going to create a nation for where salvation would come. The reason why he chose them is because that was the line that he wanted Jesus, the Savior of the world, to come from. So there's a whole backstory to this story we're talking about here where the wise men came. They knew they were expecting salvation to come and they knew it was coming through the birth of Christ. So they came from a very long way off and by the time they get to Bethlehem, a couple of interesting things. You realize that when we read the scripture in Matthew, it, they, they went to a house. 
They were no longer in a barn. They were no longer in, a, uh, in the stable, but they were in the house because the Bible says the wise men entered the house. So we know that they had moved locations. They were no longer in the barn. We also know that they had stayed in Bethlehem for those two years, uh, and they tried to go back there after... Uh, that's another story, but they had to leave and then they wanted to come back, but they couldn't come back, so they went back to Nazareth, okay? So we know that they were in Bethlehem for quite a while after Jesus was born. We know that Jesus must have been about two years old when it happened, okay? Um, the star, how many of y'all uh, seen the, saw the big star the other night? Did y'all see that? That was pretty cool. Uh, we tried to see it. I saw pictures of it. Uh, but it was cloudy at our house, and we, didn't, we couldn't really see it. But uh, I want to tell you something, and that was a really cool Christmas gift, I believe, from the Lord. But I don't believe that that star you saw the other night was anything like the star that the wise men saw. Okay? Just so you know. <laughs> it was a cool thing to see. I think it was a gift. But it was nothing like, because I want to share with you later that I believe this star that the wise men saw was the glory of God Himself. I'll show you that why I believe that in a minute. Okay, so let's look at this for a minute. On the next slide, we see, these, we see this. Uh, Jesus, the King of all kings. It says, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the, the king, behold, wise men, let's read that, Wise men came from the east. Here's another myth. Uh, they brought three gifts, but it probably, more than likely, were more than three men. Okay? There were, uh, just, you know, the, the song, they sang it last week, We Three Kings or something like that, right? Uh, you know, we, uh, we always hear the Christmas story and the Christmas stories. Uh, there's three kings. May have been. There may have been 20 kings. We don't know. There's, the scripture doesn't elaborate. We, we equate it to three kings because they brought three gifts, but we don't know. There could have been a montage of kings that came to see Christ in his, in his birth. So, or or at, not in his birth, but when he was older, right? Uh, it says uh, that the wise men came from the east and they came to Jerusalem saying, here it is, read it. Where is he who was born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it, arose, when it rose and have come to worship him. Um, why did the wise men travel so far to see the king? If it were just the king of the Jews, why would the wise men come such a far long ways? Or would they come because this particular child would not only be the salvation for the Jews, but the salvation for the entire world. You know, um, I want to tell you something. The God, Israel, the Jews are God's chosen people. That's true. But here's something we, a lot of us may get mixed up in. Those Jews that have not recognized that Jesus is the King, is the Messiah, the one who would come to save the world, that are still wrapped up in Judaism, are as lost as anyone else. The only people that are saved are the people that have given their lives to Christ. I just want you to know that. There is, Jesus said these words to the Jews that he was talking to in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 6. I am the way, the truth, 
and the life. And no one, everybody say no one, comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is and will always be the only way to heaven. That's what I want you to understand. When we talk about the King of Kings, we're talking about a man who came and gave his life not only for the Jews, but for the Gentiles as well, for all people. Yes, amen. Romans, in Romans, we see this described as this, because some people question, how can salvation only come through one man? Well, I'll tell you an easy way to reason that out if you have faith. Sin came through how many? One man. So if sin entered the world and death through sin through Adam, and we've all inherited Adam's sin. Therefore, salvation can come through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, we all inherit salvation and eternal life through the one, Jesus Christ. That makes it a lot easier to understand, doesn't it? So that's what we see here. And so these men traveled so far not to see the one who would just save the Jews, but the one who would save the entire world. There was a guy in the temple uh, at Jesus' birth. His name was Simeon, probably a prophet. And his claim that was true was this, that he would not die until he saw the salvation of the Lord. So Simeon was waiting there, and when Jesus was eight days old, they took him to the temple, and Simeon sees him, and look at what he says here. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. What he's saying there, he says, I can go to heaven now. Why? According to your word, for why? For why? For my eyes have seen your salvation. There it is. Simeon saw in the physical form the baby Jesus who would become the salvation of the world. You remember me telling you how people before Christ were saved? Simeon was saved before Jesus died on the cross. How? He was saved on the fact that he had faith that Jesus would die on the cross for his sins, that he would offer a sacrifice. He was the Messiah. He believed that. That's how Abraham was saved. That's how Isaac was saved. That's how all those Old Testament saints were saved through the fact that they believed in a coming Messiah and they prophesied about him. This is Simeon. And he says, I can depart in peace now. I can go to heaven because God promised me I'd see his salvation before I left. And I've seen it here. And look at what he says on. He he goes ahead and acknowledges this, uh, that you have prepared in the presence of what? What people? Are you a part of them? Right? All people. And what is this? The, the light, ready? The light for, for revelation to the Gentiles. That's what you are, by the way. You're not a Jew. You're a part of the, what the Bible describes as the nations outside of Israel. He was the light of the Gentiles. Uh, and the glory of His people, Israel. So we see that these kings came to see something much more than what we, we read on the page when it says, where is he who is called king of the Jews? They came because he was, 
coming from Israel as king of the world. Now, I want to I show you something. This is written in Isaiah, 700 some odd years before Jesus was born on the earth. There's a prophecy about him. It says right here, ready? I love, the, I love it when Isaiah does this. Let's read that. Let's read it loud. Thus says God the Lord. Boy, isn't that good? Man, when somebody says that, you better pay attention. Uh, when, the, when you read that in the Bible, thus saith the Lord, man, God's speaking, listen, right? He says, thus saith God the Lord. Thus, thus says God the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it. The one, listen to this. I told you that God's, I've been preaching this over and over again, telling you God's always at work, always at work. Look at the person next to you say, God's always at work. He's always working. Even when we are wrong, God's always working. Look at what, this, what Isaiah says that God says. Look at what he says. He says this. No, back up, back up, back up. I wasn't done. Here we go. Right there. Ready? Who gives, ready? Who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. What's that tell you? You know that person that you know that has refused to trust Christ? You know that person? Uh, now, I'm not singling anybody out here. This is the, we got a whole world full of people like that. Guess what they are? They're wrong. I, I, I don't want to be um, closed-minded about things too much, you know. But when someone rejects that Jesus is Lord, King of Kings, the Savior of the world, they're simply wrong. I don't want to be blunt, and I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings, but if you don't believe that Jesus died on the cross, shed His blood for your sin, you're wrong. If you came in here and you don't believe that, I've just got to be honest with you, you're as wrong as the day is long. You're just wrong. But this is what I can tell you, and this is the great news for you, and those people that you know that are like this. That right there, God's at work in their lives. You know why? Because He gives breath and spirit to those who are wrong. God's grace and mercy are so very good that He's letting them live. He's not just letting them live. He's giving. He's the giver of life. He's giving them physical life so that maybe one day they will get right with Christ. God's at work even in our wrongs. The book of Isaiah shares that with us. Look at what else it says here. It says, I am the Lord. I've called you in righteousness. Now, he's talking about the coming Messiah. He's talking about the Christ who would come. He's given people life and breath so that they'll understand that one day Christ will come. And it says this, I will take you by the hand and keep you. Ready? I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. What did Simeon say? What did the wise men do? They came to see what God had done. He gave Christ as a light from that. God, listen to this, God is always at work even in situations 
that seem impossible. It seems impossible almost that God would work salvation in such a way as this. But I'm going to ask you a question if you're a people of faith. Who are we to say to God how He should save the world? God's at work even in situations where things seem impossible. Here's the next one. As I love this because God, uh, this is my favorite one of these points throughout the whole message series. And that's this. God's always at work even in people that I may least expect. You see, the one thing that Isaiah spoke about that Jesus would do is he would open the eyes of those that were blind and he would bring out of the prisons those who were captive. Now, uh, we read all kinds of illustrations to the scripture about this. We read about a blind man that Jesus healed. And, and they asked him, you know, he'd been blind since birth. And Jesus walks up and he heals the blind man. And the blind man is healed and sees for the very first time in his entire life. I think he was about 40 years old. And so everybody wants to know how in the world that Jesus did this for him, that how he could make him see again, see he was blind since birth. And, he, and you know what the blind man said? He said, I don't know. He said, all I can tell you is that I was once blind and now I see. Amen. Now I want you to think about and put yourself in that position. I want you to think about the day you came to Christ. Because there was a day that, this, you know what, I, I, kinda, I heard a preacher say this once, and I've stolen it from him many times, but I love the illustration of it. He says, what God does is He lets those truths pile on top of your heart, and they just pile up and pile up until the one day that God breaks your heart and all that truth falls in. And up until the point that God breaks your heart, you can't see, you can't understand, you can't get it. But all of a sudden, you were once blind, and now you see that Jesus saves. So God uses people to do His work that once couldn't see a thing. I'm talking about on the spiritual side of things now. That once couldn't understand one thing about salvation or about how it comes or about how great He is, about His grace or His mercy or anything. You were once that person. But God uses and does things in the people that we least expect. So it's those that were once blind and now see He uses. It's also those who were held captive by sin and evil. Oh, I love those testimonies, right? Man, I was once this. I, I want to use him once again as an illustration. Bubba played in bars and honky-tonks for 27 years, I think. It was a long, long time. He's old, right? <laughs> well, he'll tell you that. But he, he spent his life as a musician. And he was caught up in a lot of things. He'll tell you he's not ashamed. You know why he's not ashamed? Because Christ got a hold of him and changed his life and delivered him out of that prison. Amen. And so now... 
the people that, le that are least expected to be used by God because their lifestyle was once this, and they were bound up in a prison, now have been delivered from that captivity and are free to serve the Lord. Because that's why Jesus came. He comes and uses the people that we least expect. How could God do that? Well, that's what God loves to do. He specializes in that. You know, I, I've said this one, one thing, and I believe it with all my heart. Um, God doesn't ask you to be equipped. He doesn't ask you to, to come to Him with all of your talents and gifts. He simply asks you to come to Him. God doesn't need all of your greatness. He needs your willing heart. And on top of that, He needs your humble heart. He don't need all your pride. He needs you to come and say, God, I want to be one of those who people very least expect to be used, and I know I can't do it without you. Because that's what He does. He brings people out of prisons. And look at this. On in this prophecy it says, to open the eyes that are blind and to... Bring out the prisoners from the dungeon. God always uses those who are least expect. Next, next slide, next slide, there you go. Uh, I am the Lord, and that is my name. My glory I give to no other. Nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the, the former things have come to pass. Rest, let's read that, church, please. And new things I now declare. Y'all just let that sink in. Let's read it again. Let it sink in. Ready? And new things I now declare. People, I mean, before they spring forth, I tell you of them. He's saying 700 years ago, I've got something new coming. I've got a new promise coming. A new life coming. Jesus said these words, says these words in Revelations, Behold, I make all things new. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, it says uh, that, uh, that He has made us new. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed and the new has come. I added one more point for this last sermon. Glory to God and grace toward us. He says, I'm not going to share that glory. I, don't, I want to be worshipped from you and by you. And I want all of it. And I deserve all of it. That's what God says. says I'm not going to give my glory to anybody else. I'm not going to give it to an idol. I'm not going to give it to a person. I'm your God, your creator. I give you life and I give you breath. I can, give you, I can use you in a way that people will never expect. I can give you a brand new life. I will do all of that. But here's the one thing I want from you. I want your undivided worship because I deserve it. Do you know God deserves that from you? You know, I, I think about that a lot, and I think, you know, people don't think they're wrong in this. But people think that, okay, God's brought me salvation. And I'm saved through Jesus Christ. But He didn't do enough. And it wasn't enough. Therefore, I've got to add all of my things 
and all of my goodness and glory to God's glory, so that I can complete my salvation, that I can stay saved. We tend to think and believe that if we just work hard enough, that that will complete what Jesus did on the cross. But when Jesus was on the cross, he cried these words in the book of John, It is finished, paid in full. I paid the entire debt. You owe nothing. You bring nothing. His salvation is complete, all in Him. And God doesn't want to share the glory of salvation with you, and He won't. Your job is to give your heart to Jesus. This is really easy. I make it sound so easy, but this is really easy. For those of you that have been saved for three or four years, or however long it's been, and you're wondering how the next part of this process goes, if you've been saved for six months, a month, or ten years, and even wondering how the next part of this process goes, let me just share with you what it is. It's as simple as this. Trust Jesus to work in your life like you trusted Him to save your soul. That's it. That's all. I'm telling you, that's it. Just trust Him to, save, to work in your life like you trust Him to save your soul. And He will, I promise, He will. All right, so uh, we're going to start to wrap this up. Next slide. So they followed a star. And I said all of what I said before because I want you to understand how great God is working in your life. He is a great God and He's at work. And I said all that to bring you to the next couple of points. Follow the star. The wise men, says they, and listening to the king, they went their way. King Herod, that's who they're talking about when they, they talked King Herod, and then he sent them off. And behold, ready? Behold, ready? The, the star that they had seen when it rose, what did it do? It went before them, and it came to rest over the place where the child was. Now, I, the print, you won't find those printers in your Bible. I put those there for your benefit, right? It says, when, when they saw the star, what'd they do? They rejoiced with, exceedingly with great joy. Now, this star, unlike the star that we saw the other night, was a star that was on the move. It didn't stay still. The wise men, evidently, it was, it was during the day when they saw Herod, and night came, and the star came out, and the star, they saw it, and they were, they were really happy they saw the star, and they followed the star, and the star led them to the place where Jesus lay. I want you to look at the person next to you and say, God is very good at leading You know that this is similar to something we read way back there in the book of Exodus. When God delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt and they came out of Egypt and they went into the wilderness. And it says as they, in the wilderness, something they were led by something. They were led by a cloud during the day, a pillar of a cloud. They followed and by night they were led by a pillar of fire. The light of God. Well, some people call it the Shekinah glory of God. I'm thinking that's more like the star that we see 
that came and shone over Jesus. Matter of fact, if, you read, if we go back to our Christmas account in the book of Luke, we read, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And what does it say happened to the shepherds? What does it say when Jesus was born? What does it say? And the what? The glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And, of course, you hear those words, don't be afraid. Right? The glory of God pointed the wise men to Christ, the, the Shekinah glory, the light of the Lord, pointed people, pointed these wise men to Jesus. I want you to think about where you fit there. I want you to think about all we've been talking about, how God does things where, you know, when we lead, works in people we least expect, and he, and he does things that seem impossible. They're impossible to us, but nothing's impossible, God. We see all these things, and we see this beautiful picture of the Shekinah glory of God shining on the baby Messiah, the Christ, leading those Gentile wise men to the salvation of the Lord. It was later in Jesus' ministry in Matthew chapter 5 where he looks out at those people and he's preaching on the Sermon on the Mount and he says this, You are a city of a hill, city on a hill. A light shines in the darkness. It's not meant to be put under a basket or hidden. It's to be out in the open where it will draw all people to him. You're the light of the world, he says. You, church, this Christmas season are the Shekinah glory of God. And it's because of you that wise men will still seek Jesus. That the nations will still come to Christ. It's because they will see the light and the glory of God in every single one of us. And so we see the wise men did something, something pretty amazing. They, they came, in the next slide, they brought gifts to Jesus. My children reminded me this Christmas, my little ones, that the reason we give gifts at Christmas is to remember that the wise men brought gifts to Jesus at Christmas time. And I said, you're exactly right. That's exactly why we celebrate Christmas by giving one another gifts. It is to commemorate that time where the wise men brought gifts to the newborn king. And so these are the gifts they brought him. Next slide. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy and going into the house. No more manger into the house. They saw the child with Mary's mother and they fell down and worshiped him. Then, opening their treasures, let's read it, church. They offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream, did not, not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Why did the wise men bring Jesus gold? Because he's king. The purity, the awesomeness, the power of God wrapped up in a little baby. And so they gave him gold. Frankincense. Frankincense was a, a 
perfume, so to speak. It was given to represent life. A life that Christ would bring to the world. A new life. Like Isaiah preached about and said, or prophesied about and said, I'm going to do a new thing. I'm going to bring a new covenant. A new life that the scripture talks about when it says that the person who's in Christ is a new creation. The old is past and the new has come. A new life saying that that old covenant now will be done away with. There's a new covenant, a new promise coming, the promised Messiah. All things new. My wife talked to you this morning when, before she sang her song, and she was talking about how God gives us a new chance every day. I love that about the God I worship. I'm so glad that, uh, that He's not finished with me when I mess up, that He doesn't disown me, but that He gives me a new chance and a new life. It's not just a new life now that I have, but it's a new life every single day. It's like starting all over again almost. I have a new life in Christ. But then they gave him myrrh. It's peculiar to give a baby myrrh because that was the spice. When they would, when they would put a person in their burial cloth to put them in a tomb, that was what they put. They wrapped that inside the burial cloth before they placed the person in the tomb because they knew that there would be a sacrificial death. That that little baby, the glory of God in human flesh, would one day do what Isaiah the prophet spoke about in Isaiah 53. Become a ransom for our sin. To shed his blood. To die on the cross so that we could have the salvation that we so read about in this story. That's why they brought that. It was a representation of all the things that Christ would become for us. I'm going to ask our band to come up and we're going to close in a song. We're going to close out our Christmas messages. But before they start to play... And before we close our service, as always, I want to invite you to something. Maybe today would be the very first time that you actually put your faith in the grace of God through Christ and the salvation He offers on the cross or through the cross. really hard for us to grasp sometimes this gift that God offers but it is a gift you have another chance because he's a God that makes all things new you have another chance today to give your life to Christ for the very first time as every head is bowed and every eye is closed if you would like to pray to trust Jesus as your Savior, to give your life to Him and trust the grace of God. Maybe you've been working on it all on your own and all by yourself. Well, it's time to quit all that 
and it's time just to give your heart to Jesus for salvation. Maybe that's you. I just want you to pray with me. Simply pray these words, mean them in your heart, and God will give you himself and eternal life. You can pray out loud, or you can pray to yourself. God will hear you either way. As we pray, you just simply pray with me. Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize I'm a sinner. And I believe you died on the cross for me. And I know that you died on the cross for me. I believe your blood covers all my sin. I believe your blood covers all my sins. I want to ask you to forgive me for my sin. I want to ask you to forgive me for my sins. And I believe you rose again on the third day. And I believe you rose again on the third day. And you are alive right now. And you are alive right now. You have the power of life. You have the power of life. And you can give me a new life. And you can give me a new life. I ask you to come into my life and save me. I ask you to come into my life and save me. And be my king. Be my king. And my Lord. My Lord. And it's in your mighty name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. I proclaim. I proclaim. I'm saved. I'm saved. Lord God, I want to thank you for those that prayed. I want to thank you for those that prayed for the very first time. I ask that you would bless them and give me an opportunity to minister to them, Lord. And, and, and help them, Lord, in their new walk with you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. If you prayed with me that prayer, I just want to simply do this. When you go out the door today, grab one of those papers that has Chisholm Trail Church on it, a little four by four square. Put your name and your phone number on it. Leave it in an offering box on your way out the door and give me a chance to call you. That's all I want to do. If you prayed with me today, I just want a chance to talk to you about it. That's it. So please do that and give me an opportunity to, to speak with you about it. Okay? Uh, let's stand up and let's... Let's sing praises to God and, and make